What a wonderful song service we've had this morning. It's my prayer that the remainder of the service will be as uplifting and as edifying as the song service has been. When the roll is called up yonder, that's confidence. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. What a wonderful song. What a blessing we've had to sing that this morning. The third verse <clears throat> really outlines the lesson that we have this morning. We have some work to do. We have some work to do with what God has given us. Then, when all this life is over and our work on earth is done and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. That's confidence. The opposite of confidence is doubt. Doubt's not something we want to do. Doubt's an emotion, it's a feeling, it's a way of thinking that we have sometimes that's not good. It's not pleasant. Doubt means to be uncertain about something. Doubt means to have no confidence. Sometimes we may be a student, you know, going into a test and, and we doubt that we can pass the thing. If you've been like me, you've gotten the car and you head off down the road and, uh, and you doubt you've got enough gas to get to town. And it's not a good feeling. But you know, more important and just astronomically more important and at a deeper level than that is if we doubt our salvation. If we doubt where we're going to spend eternity. This life is just a speck. It's just a speck on that timeline of eternity. But what we do with that speck determines eternity and how we'll spend it. To have a lesson on doubt, we have to spend some time on faith. We've had some wonderful, wonderful, numerous lessons on faith in the past year that's been needed, that's been helpful to me, that's been edifying. I'm grateful for those. We're going to spend a little time reviewing some of those things this morning. We're reminded of Peter. Jesus had told the disciples to go ahead, get in a ship, sail across the other side of Galilee. So they do that. Jesus remains on the shore. And then a storm comes up. Winds are howling, the waves are getting tall, and the disciples are concerned. And then they see Jesus. They see this figure on the water, which would be terrifying in itself. They see this figure walking on the water. Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out there to you, and I'll come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter begins his, his walk out there. Matthew 14, 31, it says, Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Because remember what happened to Peter? He started off okay. But then he started looking around and he saw the wind and he saw the waves and he started to sink. 
You know, that's the way our life can be, and that's the way our spiritual life can be. We can be in this state of, of confidence, but the opposite of that is a state of doubt. And when we doubt, we sink. Peter would have continued to sink and been lost, drowned in the sea, but he wasn't. He went to a great source, he went to the source, he went to Jesus for help, and Jesus saved him. Our spiritual lives can be in that same place where we're doubting and sinking and struggling, or confident and just walking across the water. We can be in one of two places. We don't want you to doubt. I don't want to doubt. I want to be confident. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. What a wonderful feeling that is. And that's what we want for all of us that it's here this morning. A state of doubt is nowhere to be and it's miserable. Matthew the 11th chapter. We see that faith is our foundation. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance means foundation. A foundation is something that's built upon. Our hope is built on a foundation. And that foundation is faith. Faith is evidence. Evidence is proof. Proof of what's not seen. We haven't seen Jesus. But we know He existed. We know He lived. And we know He died. And we know He is resurrected. And that's all the proof that we need. Verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God wants us to have faith, and we can't please God without faith. We have to believe that He is. He is the creator of all things, and He provides everything that we need. And He is the rewarder. He has the power. He has heaven. He has all the things we could ever imagine to, to live in bliss in eternity with Him and His Son Jesus and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And He is the rewarder of all that to them that diligently seek Him. See, there's something on our part. He has the power and He provides everything that we need. But there's things that we have to do. There's work that we have to do. We need to diligently seek Him. In Romans the 5th chapter, beginning in verse 1. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Justified by faith. Justified means that we've been declared righteous. We've been declared right in the sight of God. And because of that, because of that justification by our faith, we have peace with God. That's what we want. A peace with God. A peace that passes all understanding. And that comes 
through Jesus Christ, through our obedience to the gospel, coming in contact with His blood and our sins being washed away. It's by that blood that we have access into that grace. We can't be good enough. We can't earn justification. We don't deserve it. But because of Christ, we've received it and can we receive it through our obedience to the gospel. And then we have access to that grace. And then we can rejoice in hope. No matter what happens in this life, we can rejoice in hope. But we struggle with that. We struggle with that spiritual mindedness. Romans 8, the first, the Romans 8 beginning in verse 5, <clears throat> says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal versus spiritual. And it's how... It's what's going to drive us. If we're, if we're carnally minded, then what's going to drive us is things in this life. Pleasing self, money, sin, pride. And that's why we're going to do the things that we do or we can be spiritually minded. Which is what we should. Which brings about life and peace. Death or life and peace. Should be a, a, a no-brainer. Yet we struggle with that at times by getting caught up in the flesh and caught up, caught, caught up with that carnal mindedness. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, and I would encourage you to get out your Bibles. We're going to spend some time here in 1 Peter. We'll be looking at some other verses, but if you want to see the whole context as we go through some of these verses, uh, we'll be in 1 Peter, the first chapter, here for a little bit. Verse 9 says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The end of that faith, the end of it all, when there's no more work to do, when there's nothing else we can do in our service here on earth, in this body, the end of our faith is salvation of our souls. But let's back up and let's look at some verses preceding that. Verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. We have a lively hope as children of God. Because we know when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And because of that, we have this hope that's alive, that drives us. This is the reason to get up in the morning and a reason to put others before ourselves and a reason to be kind. And all that is because of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, without that, all this is useless. 1 Corinthians 15 and 14 says that if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. But it's not vain. Our preaching is not vain and our faith and your faith is not vain because Jesus did rise. 
And we have a lively hope, a hope that others need to see. We don't need to look around like everybody else in the world moping around and sad and helpless and hopeless. We need a lively hope that stands out in a dark world because Christ rose from the dead. And someday we're going to rise. That hope is to an inheritance. Something that's going to be given to us by our Father. And that inheritance is not an inheritance like in this life. It's one that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that fades not away, that's going to last for eternity. And it's for you. It's for you. Verse 5 says, For you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by the power of God. Again, it's not something we deserve or can earn. We're kept by His power, His great power. Romans 8, 38. Paul wrote, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love of God. But we need to diligently seek Him. He's done everything He can to seek us. We need to seek Him. We are kept by the power of God through our faith. We know that faith without works is dead. There's things that we need to do, work that we need to do. Service to God and others that we need in our lives, that needs to be present in our lives. It's through that faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Through faith is our part. Jesus' sacrifice and God's amazing grace is His part. And Him giving us everything we need to serve Him. Our part is through faith. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23 says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming, then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Jesus was the first to be resurrected. And because of that, we're full of hope. Because the end is coming. Jesus is going to return. And then, those that are dead in Christ will rise. There will be a resurrection. Spirit and body will be joined together once again in a different body. A body that's made for eternity. And then those that are still alive will be caught up with Jesus in the air. Jesus the first, and because of that, we have hope that one day on that last day, it'll be us. That'll all be revealed in the last time. Back to 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, Wherein? 
In that faith, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That faith unto salvation that we just read about in the preceding, in the preceding verse, it's in that that we greatly rejoice. <coughs> Faith unto salvation allows us to greatly rejoice in this life. This life is not always easy. We know. We've had numerous lessons that our faith is going to be tried with fire. But in the end, the end of our faith, when it's found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, that's what the end of our faith needs to reveal. Praise and honor and glory when Christ returns. Verse 8, speaking of Jesus, says, Whom having not seen, you love, and whom, though you see Him not, yet believing, you rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. We haven't seen Jesus, but we love Him. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. We serve Jesus and put Him and others before ourselves because we haven't seen Him, but we love Him. Yet believing, you rejoice. Because of that belief, because of that, that uh, uh, faith that we have in Christ and the resurrection, we can rejoice knowing that we have that inheritance that's prepared for us. Then verse 9 where we started. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What a glorious thought. That's what the end of our faith is. There's an end to this. And it's the salvation of our souls. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians about his readiness for death says but that we walk by faith and not by sight. Again, we haven't seen Jesus. We didn't see the miracles, but we know He is. And we know that He performed those. And we know that He was sacrificed for us and that He was resurrected. Colossians, the first chapter. Verse 21 says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. The end of our faith is salvation. We have salvation because we've been reconciled. We've been reconciled because of Christ's body, the body of His flesh, through His suffering and death, we've been reconciled. And because we've been reconciled, we're going to be presented as holy and unblameable and unreprovable. Not because we've lived a life without mistake and without sin, but because we've been reconciled by the suffering of Christ, we're going to be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable. What a glorious thought. If, verse 23, 
You continue in the faith. And our faith is going to be tried. And we can't let what's going on in this world get in the way of that reward. We cannot afford to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Not moved away from knowing that by our obedience to the gospel, Christ's blood has cleansed us from all sin. And it can continue to cleanse us from all sin if we continue in faith and not moved away from that hope. Our salvation will come when our faith has gained its end result, that being salvation, the end of a fruitful life, a faithful life, is salvation. God has provided what we need to grow. Turn your Bibles, if you have them open, to 2 Peter. We're going to spend a little time now in 2 Peter, the first chapter. Verse 3. It says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. That power that we've talked about, He has given us everything we need to life and godliness. Everything we need to grow spiritually. Everything we need to serve Him. Everything we need to love Him and love others and live the life of faith. He's given us everything we need through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God created us to show His character to others so that others would be drawn to Him. A wonderful blessing of being a child of God is that He supplied everything that we need to grow up spiritually, to become spiritually mature, to grow. Life and godliness, that's a transformed life. It's a life of spiritual growth that's different in the world. A life that as we mature, we become more godly. Verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We're given so many great and precious promises throughout the New Testament that transforms our character. Transforms our character to His own. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because of those great and precious promises that we have in the Scriptures, we can be partakers of that divine nature. We can be given that life and godliness. We can grow in those things. Because we've escaped. Escaped what? The world. And all the corruption that's in the world. The sin that's in the world. How are we transformed? How do we do that? By transforming our mind. Having a renewed mind. A mind that's not carnally minded, but a mind that's spiritually minded. 
God will provide all that we need. But we need to work diligently with Him in order to grow spiritually. We have to be fully and actively involved in this transformation process. Fully and actively participating in this growth process that should happen in a Christian's life. And God works with our resolve to be transformed. When we're resolved and we've decided I'm going to grow and I'm going to do what I need to grow, God is going to grow us. It takes diligence to grow. Beginning in verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. We need to work diligently to add these things in our life. Virtue. Virtue is moral excellence. Christ being the standard. Can we ever be perfect? No. But we need to spend a, li spend a life trying to grow in virtue, trying to grow in moral excellence. Continue to battle sin and not give in to it and get stronger as we go in our resistance to sin. We need to add to our virtue knowledge. Not academic knowledge, but knowledge that comes from the study of God's Word and applying it to our lives. Knowledge that comes uh, to our decision making. When we have important decisions in life, those are made because of the knowledge we have of Jesus and God and His will in our life. Knowledge that we gain from experience. The wisdom that we get from experience. And not making the same mistakes that we've made in the past. Add to our knowledge temperance. Temperance. A will that is trained and strengthened to say no. To say no to sinful desires. Because that carnal-mindedness carnal will get us off track. We'll be thinking about how to please me and what I want and what I want to do. Temperance is training ourselves and strengthening ourselves to say no to those sinful desires. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride, self-centeredness, selfishness, materialism, humanism, vengeance. All those things that we have to put aside. Get rid of, get out of our life, put away, and not give in to those things. Say no to those things when we're tempted. We need to add to that temperance, patience. Patience means a patient endurance or perseverance. That's the ability to pursue God's will in spite of adversity. Because there's going to be plenty of adversity. There's going to be plenty that in this world that tries to knock us off this track of growing spiritually and doing right and adding these things to our life and growing up spiritually. There's all thing, kinds of things we know that's going to get in our way that's going to make it hard. But we need to endure and persevere in spite of all those things. Our faith grows stronger in trials and temptations rather than weaker, rather than us just caving in or giving up. We need to add to our patience godliness. 
Godliness means to live reverently, loyally and obediently to God. It means developing a deepening commitment to live for Him. Always mindful of God and His will in our life. It's a way of living. We need to add to that godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is a mutual sacrifice for one another. We need relationships that continually strengthen one another. We live to encourage one another. We live to help one another. We live to be kind to our brothers and sisters in Christ and spend time with them and strengthen them. Help them be better and they help us to be better. And add to that brotherly kindness, charity or love. Agape love. That sacrificial love that God and Christ has for us and has shown to us. Not just loving those that love us, but loving all people and willing to serve all people. We need to grow in these things. Pick one. You know, it's a new year. We, make, we, we have new goals, resolutions at the beginning of a new year. We need to evaluate our lives, evaluate these lists of things that we're told to grow in and grow in them. Maybe there's one in particular you really want to focus on. Focus on that. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's three. We need to grow in all of them. The rewards of spiritual growth are well worth the effort that we put forth. Anything that's truly worthwhile is difficult. Resistance will be great. Progress sometimes in growing in these things can be slow. Sometimes they can be painful. The world will tell you, you know, that's a foolish thing to do and you are a fool for living like this. You've got this amount of time to please yourself and live in this life and then it's all over. And you're a fool for sacrificing your life for all these other people and putting others before that's what the world will tell us. But we know that's not right because of our faith, because of what Christ has done for us. Growing spiritually makes us useful. Useful to God. Verse 8 says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If... These things be in you. Can we be useful and fruitful if these things are not in our life? No. We have to have these things and practicing these things and growing in these things to be fruitful and useful. And when we do, your life will be useful and fruitful. You know, there's nothing worse than feeling useless, having spent your life without laying up treasures in heaven, being full of doubt, fearing death, fearing the return of Christ, fearing eternity. That's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible state of mind to be. But by growing spiritually, we can enjoy 
the passing years. Whatever God gives us, we can enjoy those passing years and be able to see more and more how God has used our life to affect others for Him. Again, never to bring glory to ourselves, but for Him and bring glory to Him by growing and living for Him. But you know, failure to grow, if we don't grow in these things, causes doubt. Verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old, from his old sins. A professing Christian that lacks these things has lost or never developed that spiritual sight. They lack that moral vision to grow in virtue, to grow in moral excellence. They fail to see the good that they can do by being kind and loving other people, putting others before themselves. No eternal perspective. No thought for eternity. And has forgotten what Christ has done for them. That creates a life that's bogged down in sin and has doubts. Doubts when it comes to their salvation. Doubts what's going to happen when Christ returns. First John, the second chapter. Beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> it says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he go because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If we love... If we live our lives in the light, which we are when we love, then we have the blessings of being in the light. But without loving our brother, without loving other people, without having these values, this list that we looked at in, in 1 Peter the second chapter, without growing these things, without brotherly kindness and love, it says we are in dark darkness, we walk in darkness. We're spiritually blind. And that's nowhere to be. But growing spiritually gives us confidence. The opposite of doubt. In 1 John, the first chapter, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not perfect, but confident in the blood of Christ. Not forgetful that His blood cleanses us from the sins that we committed. When we walk in the light, when we love other people, when these values are added to our life and we're growing them, then we walk in the light and Jesus cleanses us 
from all sins. When we walk in the light, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We can confess the sins, we can confess the, the mistakes that we do make, and we'll be forgiven those things because we're walking in the light. We're growing, we're loving. And then we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. In 1 John, the third chapter, beginning in verse 17, it says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. How can we know? We need to make love a pattern in our life. A pattern is something that repeats itself. If we love, if we add those values that, we, that we've looked at in 2 Peter... We add those to our life, then our heart will not condemn us. We don't have to have a guilty conscience because we know the blood of Christ continues to forgive us. If we do make a mistake, we can ask Him for forgiveness and we're forgiven. What confidence that should give us when we're growing, when we're loving, when we're adding these things. And with a clear conscience, we can get rid of any doubt that we, that we have. Any fear of death, any fear of judgment, we don't have to have those things. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. If we love God, we keep His commandments. If we love Him and we love other people, we put others first. First before ourselves. then we can be full of confidence. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 10. It says, Wherefore? Okay, because of this, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. If these things are in us and abound, they make our calling and election sure. Our calling is that invitation of Jesus, our obedience to the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Confessing Christ before an audience. Repenting of our past life. Being buried with Him in baptism. And rising 
to be different, to live that life of transformation. That's the calling. The election is God making us His. Predetermined it from the beginning of the world that those who would obey that gospel, that would have faith in Him, faith in His Son Jesus, would have that inheritance that we talked about earlier. Our lives will not be ruined by people or circumstances beyond our control if we are full of confidence, if we have a strong faith, if we have an eternal perspective, our lives can't be ruined by other people and other circumstances that's beyond our control. So many things in this life we can't control. We can't control what happens to our health. We oftentimes can't control what happens to uh, financial situations sometimes. We can't control what other people do. But we can control ourselves and we can grow spiritually and we can have confidence no matter whatever else is going on. Our commitment to spiritual growth is not affected by all these things that we can't control. God is committed to developing these things in our life. And no one and nothing can keep us from succeeding in this except our own choice not to cooperate with God and all that He has provided with us to grow us. Nothing else but ourselves and us deciding, I'm just going to sit. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let... Uh, continue in sin, let grace abound. I'm not going to grow spiritually. I'm not going to put forth any effort. That's no way to live our lives. And that's no way to go into the judgment confident and to live knowing when the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. Verse 11 says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the end of our faith, God will richly bless us when we enter that eternal kingdom, when we, turn, when we enter that eternal home of heaven. It has nothing to do with us earning it. We can't do that. Our sin is too great. But by Jesus' blood, by His sacrifice and our faith, we can get access to that grace and we can be reconciled and we can be right in His sight and we can be confident with no doubting. When we go through life and reach the end with confidence like Paul, that's what we want. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. Paul said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. If you've not made your calling and election sure, do that this morning. If you've been properly taught and you'd like 
to become a child of God and have all these blessings that He's given us? Have all the blessings He's given us to grow us? You can come forward. As we said, you can confess Christ before this audience. You can repent of your past life. You can be buried with Him by baptism, contact that blood that cleanses us and continues to cleanse us, and you can be a child of His. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you haven't grown like you should. Maybe you feel like you just, you're just in a place that's uncomfortable and you'd like the prayers of the church. We'd like to help you in that. Won't you come as we stand and sing?